this. Um, today, I'm going to speak on something and use an old English word that is often not used at all. In Hans Bringer was a legend, but he was an absolute legend that wasn't created in the country there is a legend of, but was created in America by an author called Mary Mipps Dodge in 1865 as a part of a, a larger book called The Silver Skates. We read a little episode. And it's that famous episode that all English children are taught in schools. Perhaps in your uh, culture, you might not have been taught this story about the little boy who saved Holland, and particularly the uh, city of Harlem, by plugging his finger in a dike or a dam that held back the water from Amsterdam. Have you heard about that story, anybody? Have you heard that? Did you know that it's not true, that it's a legend, that it never happened, but it's part of fiction? But actually, dikes don't break. These things that hold back the water, they don't break by a little hole coming. What happens is, is when they break, they start to move and waver and a whole section gives way. And what happened in 1953 was the the dike was breaking and it took a whole ship to to ram up against it. Then they packed the ship with uh, sandbags so that um, uh, the, the dike would be shored up so that the water wouldn't rush in. And that actually happened. We've got a picture of it there. Today... I'm going to be either the boy who puts his finger in a dangerous spot in your life that's just started to leak. But actually, I feel like today, because of what I'm going to speak about, I feel like I'm the ship holding back a big wave of culture that's washing over us. And maybe in your life, maybe a small thing is happening, or maybe it's a big, dangerous mindset that if we're not careful, if we don't arrest it, if we don't just call it out, could wash over all of us. And it's the whole area concerning an old English word called frugality. The virtue of being wise and not wasteful. If you want a little definition, give me a bigger definition in a moment. But being wise with your resources and not wasteful. Did you know that the football transfer window has just closed and over a billion pounds was spent this year. Over a billion pounds in football transfers. Isn't that a good use of money? You know, uh, but on Sky Sports the other day, the, the newscaster, if that's what they're called, the presenter said, oh, and it's £2 million down on last year, as if that was a problem. The average household in the UK produces more than a tonne of waste each year. 
Put together, this means that we waste 31 million tons per year, equivalent to the waste, the weight of three and a half million double-decker buses, which would be a queue that would go around the world two and a half times. Roughly, one-third of all the food ever produced for human consumption in the world every year, approximately 1.3 billion tons gets lost or wasted. So there's only two-thirds of the food that we produce actually gets eaten. Consumers in North America and Europe waste about 209 pounds to 253 pounds of food per person per year. That's what we do. The idea today in our culture of me even speaking on frugality is kind of heavy and boring, and I'm going to try and not make it so, because it is so countercultural to our throwaway society. Frugality is a wise and balanced view of your life and its resources. That's the virtue we're going to be talking about. The bottom line to this virtue is this. Knowing when to spend, when to save properly without overly wasting that which God has given you to look after. You develop this virtue of being wise or frugal with your money not by, by not being tempted into wasteful, over and unwise spending and consuming. Now let's be clear. Some of us have been brought up by parents who really helped us in this area. And some of us have not. And some of us need grace and time because we just haven't had that in our background. We want to avoid, however, a judgmental kind of stinginess that always counts every single penny, that never lavishes love or value on someone. Not because it makes sense, but because it communicates to someone value. You know what? Your children, and in my case, my grandchildren, sometimes need the biggest ice cream that they can't eat just because they need to be let known that they are valuable to you. This idea that we never are extravagant on someone is not what I'm talking about today. But you can't live in a world of extravagant gestures all the time. I understand that. But there are times when we need to communicate value through extravagance. Stinginess can be like a petty obsession with money, can't it? That actually comes from a loveless heart, from, a, from an orphan spirit, from a, a spirit of striving because, because your parents had nothing or because you've come from a background that didn't have much then everybody else deserves nothing. And you see those wasteful, horrible people, if only they knew how to manage things. That's an orphan spirit. That's a judgmental spirit. That's a stingy spirit. It's not driven by faith. It's driven by fear. It's not driven by responsibility. It's driven by repression. So that's not what we're talking about today. 
We're talking about a value that says, I can live a balanced life with my resources and I can understand how my character operates rather than just going along with the tide of consumerism that we have today. Now, there was an old gentleman, and, and some people say, uh, an English person told me this story, and they said the old gentleman was Scottish. Okay, I can possibly comment on that. A Nigerian person told me this story and told me that the old person was Ghanaian. Unfortunately, a Ghanaian person told me the same story and said this old gentleman was a Nigerian. So you take your pick of what nationality this, this uh, old gentleman was. But there's an old gentleman on a train. And he didn't want to pay the fare. He said to the conductor, these prices are an absolute rip-off, bloody eye. He might have been Scottish. Or Ghanaian. These prices are an absolute rip-off. I won't pay the fare, laddie. I won't pay the fare. And he got into this argument and the conductor said, well, this is just the fare. It's just the fare. It's what it is. I've got nothing to do with the price. I won't pay it. I won't pay it. It's far too much. You shouldn't be charging this much. Anyway, he got into an argument with the conductor so much. The conductor got so exasperated that he did something. As the train was going over a bridge, over a river, he grabbed his suitcase and threw it out the window and said, you won't pay while you won't all... All your stuff won't travel there, and the suitcase landed in the river. He said, man, what are you doing? Not only are you charging me high fares, you're also trying to drown my only son. (laughs) Do you get it? Stingy people are always trying to get away with something. And they always make the basis of their, their arguments and their decisions on the basis of what can I get away with. Let's understand that frugality is a whole approach to life. And we need to ask ourselves some important questions from it. You see, frugality, or can I say this, money wisdom. If you you think, well, that's just an old word. We don't use that anymore. And there's a reason why we don't use this word anymore. It's because it's gone out of our culture. But money wisdom is about cultivating a wise lifestyle that's pleasing in God's sight. Where we're pursuing His holiness and we're trying to shape our lives at whatever prosperity level we have. that, That we're trying to shape our lives out of character. And not just out of our desires. And this is a really important, and maybe my main point, that today, the way that we handle our resources can be such a a, a character shaper that it will help us. You see, frugality is not just about saving money or being the opposite of generosity. It's actually you fighting against reckless waste Or spending because you don't know why you're spending. It's living a modest, committed way of life. Frugality always asks, what's the purpose for owning something other than just I want it? Does it have a purpose? Does it contribute to my life? Does it have a purpose of communicating value to somebody that I love? Will it help me do better for God? 
See, it might be good for you if you've got a heavy day where you need to be really on it to, to not stand in standard class, but to pay the extra money to go first class on the train so you can rest up and be really on it so you can serve God better. That might be a, a way to be frugal if it meant that you could serve God better. You see, frugality is not just about stripping everything back so we only have one bowl of rice a day and thank God for that. It's about how do I shape my life so that I can serve God in a clear conscience. What frugality does is see the connection between life and things and the value of others. I spend according to my values. And I spend according to my value of others. Sometimes I express my value in terms of things. And other times, because it's not right to just express in terms of things, it's not right always to say, the way that I communicate value is to give you something. Maybe people need touch or time or words or encouragement. Maybe they need teaching or correction or help. And not just things. John Wesley, the leader of the, or founder of the Methodist Church, said this, Money is an excellent gift of God if it is used excellently, answering the noblest needs of humanity. Let's ask some really important questions, simple questions about money today, because this matters, because our use of money and our use of of our resources will largely determine our freedom. It won't be the only thing, but it is a freedom issue that's about, not about amounts, but about attitude. First question, what is money for? What's it for? We've, we've laden so much into money that we've forgotten that money is actually an exchange for goods and services that add edification comfort and improvement to my life and for those who I love it's a simple exchange but it's all those things without corrupting my spirit that which I exchange if it corrupts my spirit that's not what I should be doing and as well as this simple exchange of course it's for serving others what is money for? It is there to serve others and to expand the kingdom of God. Money should never be used as a status symbol or a display of power or status. I was reading one author, his name is Richard Forster. He said he had a dark moment in his childhood. Do you play, did you play marbles where you're from? Did you ever play? We called them in Stoke-on-Trent, we called them shotties. But little glass balls, marbles, did you play that? You know, you put them in a ring and what you shoot out with one, you can win the ones you shoot out the ring. Did you play any games at all or is it just Kathy? Did you play anything? Okay, marbles. He was an expert at marbles. And he shot and he actually in his village won every other child's marbles. So that he had all the marbles and nobody else had the marbles. And then he says, and one dark afternoon, I got this strange, dark idea to call all the children together next to the village pond. 
and in front of them all, one by one, he threw all the marbles he'd won into the pond just because they were his and he had the power to do so. He said it was the darkest moment in his childhood. Money should never be used for power. Money should never be used for status. It's not for that. It's not that. Our acquisition should always be for improvement, edification, comfort, life, value, service, kingdom expansion. Remember James chapter 2 says that when a, a rich person is in the fellowship, that we shouldn't give them the best seat just because they're rich. But it's never used for favoritism. So what is money for? It's an exchange. And it's for service and for kingdom expansion. Second question. We should ask this question, who is in charge? When we, when we handle our money, am I controlling my money or is my money controlling me? You see, when the bottom line decision of whether something's right or wrong depends on how much money you've got, then money's in charge. Because it doesn't matter how much money you've got, some things are still just right. They're right to do. They're right to say. You see, Jesus understands that money is for the furthering of the gospel. You see, it's really important that it's not that I think money has an evil spirit behind it, although Jesus does talk about this idea of mammon. And, and there is a power in money, strange power to it. But it's actually our flesh and our, and our heart that needs to be strengthened that we say, God, you're in charge, and as a steward, I'm in charge of my money. Third question. Will I let my character set my limits? You know, I personally don't define God's will by whether money's provided all the time. It's not always the criteria to say it. You know, oh, well, the money's come, therefore it must be God's will. Uh, There are times when, is something leading me closer to Jesus? And if I do this, will I be closer to Jesus? That defines God's will to me. Or will the gospel be furthered? Will the kingdom be expanded? Sometimes we have to have the faith to to do something even when provision isn't there. But but I've noticed something about Christians. Have Have you noticed this? That when provision comes, we always take that as a sign of God's will. We even have phrases, you know, God provides for what he calls and all of the rest of it. And that's fine. But I've also noticed something else, and it gives me a wry smile, that when the money doesn't come, we often don't take that as a sign that it's not God's will. We battle on anyway. Sometimes when God pulls the purse strings, maybe he's saying, wait, wait. And yet we plow on anyway. Have you ever noticed that, church? But often, we need to understand That we're living in a culture now that's not willing to endure some limits on what we can do. 
In fact, I used to be a youth leader, and when I inherited the youth work, it was called No Limits. And I kind of think, I'm wondering if that's a good message to say to young people. You know, our credit system in our country has allowed us to consume at a false level of prosperity, beyond our real level of wealth. It allows us to do things that actually we haven't got that wealth to do. And sooner or later, we will have to pay for the credit that we have allowed ourselves to buy into. You know, and some of us have to learn this, not, not because we had parents, but we learn it through experience. I remember, does anybody remember watching the Thunderbirds growing up? Now, for those of you from another country, uh, you know, we had, you might have had cartoons, British people had puppets. Okay, we grew up with puppets. And one of the characters in the Thunderbirds was Lady Penelope. And Lady Penelope had a pink Rolls Royce. When I was eight, about 23, I bought a pink Hillman Hunter for my Lady Penelope. <laughs> nice, eh? Nice, isn't it? We couldn't afford it. Eventually, it was repossessed. I've had the repossession man at my door. I had to learn it because nobody taught it me. You see, it takes a lot of time to learn how to handle your resources. Because it's a really important theological point about the image of God in you. God called us to govern the earth. And so it's going to be one of the things that the enemy will attack you on. And it's one of the things that God is trying to produce for all you. You see, we must learn the art of waiting for things. Now, credit can be good and it can give you some assurances and protections, but it can create a false view of your prosperity and the collapse comes suddenly if the wealth is not there to support it. Frugality actually goes one step further. Not just just the question of, will I allow my character to set some limits on my life and will I actually wait for some things, but frugality says... Will I live on less than what I can afford so that I can serve some others with my overflow? Can I do some other things that are valuable with my money? You know, a concept that we don't really have today is repentance through giving money. Hear me right. Do you remember Zacchaeus? He said, Lord, I've cheated some people, so I'm going to give them money back. Money that he withheld, he, he saw it as a, as a repentance thing. And I want to say to you, if you've been withhelding from somebody, as a sign of repentance, you should give that money back. You should, you should repent as Zacchaeus did. I bet you've been waiting for what scripture this message is based on. Everybody in the house, would you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17, 18, and 19. We're just going to read three verses today. It'll be on the screen, but I don't know how big it is. So have a look at it in your Bible. Because I want to just do some line-by-line teaching. Command those who are rich in this present world. 1 Timothy 16, 17, 18, 19. Command those who are rich... In this present world, not to be arrogant, 
But to put their hope in, or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides with us everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, you will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So that we may take a hold of life, this lovely phrase, that is truly life. First thing that Paul says here is, command those who are rich. He says, there are some must-dos, some commands about money. And what we've done is, and as Christians, I want to just say to you today, don't get disgruntled about teaching on money. Don't live of, my money is out of bounds attitude. In the Bible, there were some must-dos, some must-attitudes and don't absent yourself under the guise of privacy. That's my money. It's got nothing to do with you. Actually, in Scripture, it's got everything to do with where you're going. There were some commands. But then Paul goes on and says, Command them not to be arrogant uh, in this present world. Actually, money might mean that you're wise in some things, but it might mean some other things about you. It, it might mean that you have been wise to some degree, but you might have been withholding in other degrees. Paul says, don't be arrogant. And what he means by that is money doesn't equal status. And everybody who hasn't got money goes, yeah. But money doesn't equal status. And then he says, not to put your hope in wealth, but hope in God. And God must always be our source. Can I hear an amen, church? That God has to be our source. But look what he says. That God, who is our source, richly provides. God provides. Can I hear another amen? Amen. Whatever your need is, God richly provides. But look at this. He provides everything for our enjoyment. A lot of teaching on money is about serving, supplying. It's about about surviving and serving. But actually here the scripture says money is there for our enjoyment. It's also there for improvement, for blessing, for kingdom expansion, for our enjoyment and enrichment. And the blessing of people we love or people that we are burdened for. That's where the enjoyment comes. And then the scripture says, don't just be rich. Be rich in good deeds or have another dimension to your life that has nothing to do with money. It doesn't cost you anything to walk across the aisle and encourage somebody today. Amen? Amen. There are some things that money can't buy. Well said, the Beatles. Oh, for those of you who don't know who the Beatles are, it's a group of a certain age group, okay? But money, you don't need money to smile at me. Okay, I'll say that again, because all of you are frowning at me. Be rich in good deeds. 
And then the Bible says, be generous and willing to share. The dimension, this dimension has to be in your use of money every single month that you are generously sharing something with someone. And then the scripture says a, a, a strange thing. It says, in this way, you will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. How we deal with our resources here creates our character that we can enjoy in the coming age. Our life is built on other things rather than worldly foundations. And then the Bible says, so that you may take hold of life that is truly life. Do not be orientated how the world says we are supposed to enjoy our lives. Our life is orientated different. Our measurements are orientated differently. On the basis of this, on this scripture, I've got some practical things. Just three practical rules. I've got four, four rules, but I've only written three down. But this thing takes grace. It takes time. Some of you may be sitting here today and you say, oh, my money's a mess. And, oh, Pastor Mark, this sermon, it's just making me feel worse. Look, everything takes time. Everything takes grace. Everything takes a longer time sometimes. Here's some practical things. Number one, set a budget. Just do it. I used to have a boss called Bud Clarkson. And we used to joke with him that budget meant Bud gets for us. Well, that was an immature thing to do, wasn't it? That our boss just got the money for us. But set a budget. Just, if you set a budget, you won't waste much. People who don't set a budget are, on average, wasting 25% of their resources. Set a budget. But here's my three practical rules. Number one, live on less than your income. Live on less than your total income. The proverb says the fool consumes all that they have. But don't spend everything that you have every month. I try, I don't always achieve it, but I try and live on 80% of, of everything that I get. That's what I try and do. And try and, over the next few months... Pair your living down so that you don't spend everything that you have. My second rule is this. I set some rules that I live by. I don't let others just set my rules in my life. So my second practical thing is make some rules that are good for you. You can call them principles. You can call them ideas. Let's just be clear, set some rules, some yeses and noes. Now, you might argue with my rules, but the point is, I've got some. Have you got any rules about how you uh, do your resources and finances? I have some clear rules. For instance, one of my rules is, I never have anything more than one thing on credit at a time, and my credit, I always look for interest-free. I will not have more than one thing on credit at a time. That's one of my rules. Now, you might have a different rule, but at least I've got a rule. I have a, I set my, another rule that I have is I set a limit on my credit card that is not the limit set by the company. 
I don't let them set my limit. I set my limit that is no more than 50%, between 30 and 50% of my monthly income, and I pay it off every month or within a quarter, and I don't let it creep up again in the, in the quarter after I've paid it off. That's my rule. Now, you might argue your rule, but at least I've got a rule. Have you got a rule? Have you thought about any rules about your credit card? So I have a limit on my credit card that I set, not the limit that they give me. Because they're going to give me a credit limit that is way beyond my ability to pay back. Paolo, what did you tell me the other day? That if you've got £2,000 and you only pay on credit and you only pay the, 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 the minimum payment, the, the, how many years is it? 20 years? It takes you 20 years to pay it off. That's their rules. Not my rules. My other rule is I save an emergency fund and I use, I've actually used it all this year. But I had one because I had a rule. My lawnmower broke. My beloved lawnmower, after 25 years of faithful service, broke. I can't believe it. I had to buy a new lawnmower. And then Kathy's, well, it's not just Kathy's, it's mine because I use it as well. But I don't, let me get out of this mess that I've just walked into. The cooker that we both use, but Kathy mainly uses. The hob broke and the oven broke. At the same time. So I had to buy that. And then, lo and behold, the washing machine that I really know how to use, but Kathy doesn't like me using it, the washing machine. So my lawnmower broke, my hob broke, my oven broke, my cooker broke. Guess what? I had an emergency fund. I don't owe anything on those things and I could replace them all. Because I have a rule. I save for an emergency fund. I'm going to give you a scheme of how to get to save an emergency fund in a few moments. But my point is this. Set some rules. Now, I've got my rules and I can share mine. Paula's got loads of rules that she can share hers. But set some rules. Third idea. Three little practical things. Save. Save something every month. If you can wait for something, wait for it. Have some goals about saving. Low-level goals, little goals, and some longer-term goals. But save something. Now, I want to just tell you something. I, if you're not used to saving, here's a little scheme that, that I, I'm using at the minute. It's a, it's a silly little thing. and Some people will say, oh, that's not very good. But this, is, this, this helps people get into saving. Week one, save a pound. 52 weeks a year. Week two, save two pounds. Week three, save three pounds. By week 52, in week 52, you have to save 52 pounds. Now, if you do that, after three weeks, you would have saved six pounds. But after 15 weeks, you'll have 120 pounds. In week 26, you'll have 351 pounds. Because in week 10, you save 10 pounds. And it, and it does add up. After 52 weeks, you would have saved 1,378 pounds. And that would be an emergency fund. Or that might be a holiday fund. You might think, I've just been on holiday, I'm completely broke. Nick, this Sunday, go on the internet and put a pound in an account. Next Sunday, go on the internet, put two pounds in an account. The Sunday after that, put three pounds in an account. If you'll do that by increasing it faithfully, you, because, of your, uh, because you don't save at the moment, it will get you into saving. That's just a little tip for you. You might want to do it, you might not want to do it. But my principle is, save something.
Can I hear an amen, church? So I think it's about time that we uh, kind of stood and prayed and uh, did some worship. But do one thing this week that changes your frugality. You might need to poke your finger in a little hole that stops the dam leaking. Money issues never go away. They never go away. You see, there are some people that think that money's dirty, that we're to have nothing to do with it, that, that we give it all away and, and just live on the bare minimum, and that's not God's plan. And then there are other people that see money as a sign of God's blessing, and uh, they think that God wants you rich. Well, in the middle is us ordinary people who are trying to live our lives. And in the middle is us people who are in between, who are trying to improve our lives for our family and trying to help other people. And we believe in the provision of the Lord. And remember what the scripture taught. God richly provides. He will provide for you. Will you stand with me? Because I want to just share what John Wesley said, the founder of the, of the Methodist Church. He just said this. Earn all you can. If you want to access God's provision, earn all you can righteously in a way that brings no shame on you or on your loved ones. Earn all you can. Secondly, save all you can, but not hoarding it. Just set some limits on your lifestyle so that you can save for things and so you can save to expand the kingdom. And then John Wesley went on and said, give all you can. As opposed to giving to get or being greedy, but saving to bless people and to give to others so that giving is not just an event, it becomes a lifestyle. Would you just for a moment, just turn around to somebody and just give them some encouragement. Just give them just something from you. Say, say, hey, you look good today. You, I'm glad that you're here today. So... I just felt the Lord laid a picture up on my heart just to close this service. I need your grace to do it. Now, nothing's going to happen to your wallet or anything, but with your wallet, as we sing this again, we just, I just want to ask you to bring your wallet and your purse and you just lay it on the front, stay near it. Nobody else is going to touch it or take it. And what you're doing is you're just bringing your finances and your resources to God. If you haven't got a wallet, bring your phone or just bring yourself. And, and all across the front and on all of the steps and around the side and on the communion tables, maybe you could just come and place your wallet and say, Lord, I just give you my resources. And you know what? There'll be one or two of you that this will apply to, and you can do it privately, but there'll be some of you that have got, like, a credit card that you never use. So I want to ask you, why have you got it? And, and I've never done this before, but I've got some scissors here. And if you need to cut up one of your credit cards, maybe you've got five credit cards. See, I've got a rule that I only have one. 
but you might need more than one. I don't know what your circumstance is, but maybe you've got a credit card that's maxed out. You can't use it. So why don't you just cut it up? Why don't you take a brave step and say, you know what, I'm just going to release myself from that because I can't use it anyway. And it being there is always a temptation. So I'm just going to cut it up. If it's a joint one with your wife, just have a little chat with your wife and say, hey, should we just cut this up? Now what we will do, we will make sure that your credit card is destroyed properly in our shredder machine, but you cut it up. So it'll be all secure and all safe. Now that may apply to just one or two people, but if you need to cut one of your cards up, these scissors are sharp enough. We had several people, a couple of people in the first service who just said, you know what, Pastor Mark, I'm just going to do that and I just want to be wise about it. And they, even if you have to wait at the end of the service, there's nothing embarrassing about it. You're just being wise. Can you hear an amen, church? So are you ready? As, As Pastor Kevin just sings this song again with the, with the band. Would you bring your wallet and would you just lay it as this is like an altar? And you don't have to move away from it and we won't move it and you don't have to do. But come and just lay and say, I'm giving you my attitude to my money. I'm giving you my heart about my money. I'm giving you my money. Who's going to be the first? Come on. Let's give that to the Lord. And, and uh, my wallet's in my office. Please... Bring your wife's money if you have that as well. Thank you, Pastor Kevin. Just come forward and, and push through and you can stand behind somebody. Nobody's going to run off with your money. If there's anybody, you say, well, well, Pastor Mark, could I have those scissors, please? Would you just wave your hand and we'll, we'll let you to have that. And we'll sing a song and in a few moments what we're going to do is we're going to lay our hands and dedicate them to the Lord. You see some people, they've been talking to us and say, why are you doing this series in the summer? And you know, there'll be some of us who want us to get to prophecy and the end times and you know, breakthrough and blessing and all of that. But you know what? We, we know the Lord's laid these messages on our hearts so that we can help you and bless you. And we'll get to all that other stuff. And I know it's a little bit practical, but before you leave today, there's one or two of you that need to cut up a card. And you just need to carefully do it and quietly do it. There's no shame about it. You just need to say, you know what? This is a breaking thing in my life. I'm just, I'm just going to do it now. You don't need to leave this place until you've cut up that card that's just a weight in your life. There's several people in the first, as I said, who just, it was not embarrassing at all. Just as we disperse, you just hang around and we'll give you some scissors and you do it now. Don't carry it. Do it now. Don't walk out the room without doing it. Do it now. You need to get rid of it. It's not going to help you. You need to break it now. So, you know, just be blessed, be loved. I just want you to put your hand on somebody's shoulder just right now and just speak over their lives say trust the Lord just speak into their ear speak into their life now just say trust the Lord trust the Lord in this area just trust the Lord God's going to provide for you come on tell them that God's going to provide for you 
He's going to come through for you. Your grace is more than Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. I, I just actually feel, just as you say, Kevin, you could sing that, but I just really feel God's going to come through for somebody today. God's going to, He's actually going to use this message to come through for you in a long term way. God's going to come through for you. He's going to provide in a miraculous way for you. Can you just lift your hand with me and just say, hey, I, Lord, bring the provision that you want to bring to my life. He's actually going to do that for you. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Thank you so much for being at Birmingham City Church today. You can stay and worship as Pastor Kevin leads us a bit. Please don't leave your wallet on the front of the church. Please take it with you. Please take it back. You're just dedicated. If you need to come and just say, Hey, Pastor Mark, I just need to snip this card. That's fine. We'll make sure they're destroyed completely. Thanks, Kevin.